and every soul in here would take seriously the uh, admonition in your word to shout out your praise. Why? Because we feel like it? No. Because it's a cool thing to do? No. Because praise is do your great name. And Lord, we want to give you that praise. And it's in Christ's name we pray and ask this. Amen. If you would uh, please uh, look in the pew back in front of you, there's a couple of things there. One is a little blue card that says connection card, and uh, we would love to know if you're worshiping with us today. Maybe it's your first or second time, and uh, we'd like to know who you are, and you can find out more information about our church. We'd be happy to uh, connect with you and tell you more about the church. And for everybody, uh, there's a prayer request card, and so please take advantage of that and fill that out. You can put that in the offering plate. By the way, that connection card, you can either put in the offering plate or take to the Connection Center uh, after service, and there'll be people back there to guide you into more um, things about you need to know about the church if you if you uh, want to go back there and, and get more information. All right? Hey, as we continue to worship, I, I was telling the, the choir back in the, in the back, uh, you know, the, the guest we have today, he, he can't stay in his lane any better than our own pastor. He's, he, uh, he told me a couple of songs that we could sing. I'm like, oh, sure, that sounds great. So, so, uh, <laughs> so this one, this was a great, great old hymn. This is written by Walter Chambers, Chalmers Smith, in, 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 Immortal, Invisible, God Only Wise. How many know this great hymn? 
Okay, many of you, many of you. And uh, one writer said this, how do you express the inexpressible mystery of the Creator whose name was unutterable in Hebrew Scriptures, save the self-described I Am? How do you put into words what cannot be known? How do you sing about the one who is ineffable beyond all words? Well, prophets, priests, kings, scribes, psalmists, pastors, uh, worship songwriters have been trying to do this uh, since the ability to try. Amen? And we still haven't attained it because he is that high and, and exalted above us. And so this song reminds us of that. Let's sing it together. Good morning. It's a blessing to see you here today and thank the Lord for psalms and hymns and spiritual songs that lift up melody 
and our hearts to the Lord. Well, we're blessed today, and I'm going to go ahead and introduce our speaker, and then we'll take our morning offering. But uh, Dr. Tom Askell is with us today, and the best thing I can talk about him in regards is Miss Donna, his wife, right? Uh, they've been married for 43 years, and they actually celebrated or had their first honeymoon in Branson. And so uh, they're going to try to put the honey back in the moon this week, right? <laughs> they're going back down to Branson after they leave here with us. But it's a blessing to have Brother Tom and uh, Miss Donna. He is the pastor of Grace Baptist Church in Cape Coral, Florida. And he's been their pastor for 37 years. So we praise the Lord for that longevity and faithfulness to the Lord. Uh, he is a graduate, and we'll forgive him of this, of Texas A&M. And uh, he has two degrees, his MDiv and doctorate from Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary there in Fort Worth. Good many years ago now, right? Uh, Brother Tom has taught adjunctively uh, theology courses in numerous colleges and seminaries. He uh, is the president of Founders Ministries and the Institute of Public Theology. And many of us have visited the podcast and listened to The Sword and the Trial. And you can do that as well. And we'll encourage you to, uh, to listen to some of those. But we are honored and blessed to have you here. Uh, what a wonderful time we had in Sunday School Hour. Uh, we look forward to the preaching of the Word. And he's going to be preaching this morning out of Proverbs 8. And so we... Ex we expect our God to speak through his word, and he will. So let's have a word of prayer, and we'll continue in worship. Father, we realize that all of life is worship. We realize that you are to have the supremacy in all things. And Lord, we exalt your name. And Lord, our prayer is that today is an overflow of our commitment to worship you all week. And then today, Lord, like no other time, we come together corporately as a body. And we know nothing compares to the corporate body before you, our God, worshiping you. And Lord, we pray that uh, in the words of Psalm 95 that we will not only sing songs that cut to the ear uh, like we've come into the house to worship you, but also songs that remind us that we are to bow low. We are to lick the dust of the earth before our divine God. And Lord, if you would touch us with your scepter, we can at least, maybe, be able to comprehend the invincible, immortal God that we serve. And we thank you for your eminence, your involved with us as our God, and we thank you that you would reach down, that you would come down, uh, a down-to-earth kind of gospel that you would come to save our souls. And we give you praise for that. Lord, uh, thank you for the instruction given to us from your word, especially the Proverbs. And today, Lord, will you open our hearts and minds to receive your truth. Lord, truly, we desire to be a church that lives life under your word. And Lord, instruct us today. Bless your servant, Brother Tom. And Lord, as you've done so often in our convention across various states and uh, the influence, uh, we thank you for your servant, Lord, who is someone willing to stand when others will not. And we we pray, Lord God, that you would speak through the word today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. 
As we think about Proverbs 8 today, this song came to mind immediately. Uh, the one who was, the one who is, the one who evermore will be, the Ancient of Days. Let's sing together.
Let's make this next song our prayer before Brother Tom comes. Lord, open our eyes that we may see your word and may it affect, may it transform our lives. Lord, be thou my vision.
good morning. It's a joy to be with you this morning. I'm delighted for the opportunity to come and worship together here with First Baptist Church. And praise God for the time of singing we've enjoyed together, offering up our praise to the Lord for His amazing grace to us and being reminded of just who this God is before whom we come and worship today. I bring greetings to you from Grace Baptist Church in Cape Coral, Florida. Uh, we're delighted to know about the ministry of the gospel here in Ozark, and uh, folks there in Cape Coral are praying for us, have prayed for us today as we are meeting here. Well, everybody wants to live the good life. We all want to live well. Uh, anyone you would engage on this topic by way of conversation would certainly say, yes, we want to live the good life. But there's a wide variety of what exists in people's minds concerning what constitutes the good life. What do you have to have for your life to go well? Well, for some people, if you've got a lot of money and you've got your health, then, man, uh, you are living the good life. If you're able to buy things that you want, then that's good. For other people, it's popularity. If they're well-known, well-esteemed, if they have some prestige about themselves and people esteem them, then that's the good life. In fact, there was a study that was done not long ago of millennials. Those are Americans who were born between the years of 1980 and the early 2000s, and it showed based on their survey, that 80% of them have getting rich as a life goal. And 50% of them have being famous as a life goal. Well, behind such aspirations is the belief that what constitutes the good life, what will enable you to live well is to experience pleasure, the pleasure specifically that wealth and fame can provide. Well, that's what the ancient Greek philosopher Epicurus taught. Uh, his system of thinking about the world and trying to order your life accordingly was designed to teach that what makes life worthwhile, what makes life good, is the experience of pleasurable, of pleasure. So whatever is pleasurable is good. Whatever is painful is bad. It's evil. So to live well, you've got to promote pleasure. Well, I think it's safe to say that Epicurus's philosophy has pretty well dominated America because we are a culture that pursues pleasure, that wants to eliminate pain. This hedonistic approach to life is commonplace. And we see that by the way that so many people let money determine their decisions, what job to take, how much money can I make? Do I relocate? Well, will it be better for me financially? Seeking wealth becomes a determining factor for so many of life's decisions in our society today. You also see it in the explosion of dangerous and even violent video clips that people will produce now in hopes that they will go viral and that they then will become famous or maybe Notorious, but nevertheless well-known. Wealth and fame are regarded as essential to the good life, to experiencing pleasure, 
to living well. But of course, there are countless examples of rich and famous people whose lives were anything but pleasurable. Maybe you heard about Thomas H. Lee, who died just a few months ago in New York. He was the founder and managing partner of one of the oldest and largest private equity funds that exists in the world today. In fact, as he was building his business, he was called the Envy of Wall Street. He went on to become one of the wealthiest men in the world, and he became friends with presidents and other powerful politicians. He had fame and wealth. And yet on February 23rd of this year, he went to his private office there on Fifth Avenue in New York, put a gun to his head, and ended his life. Fame and wealth don't necessarily constitute the good life. They might be found in a life that is well-lived, but they can't guarantee such a life. Nor do other things that we tend to put a premium on today guarantee that you're going to live well. We value things like health and education, opportunity, safety, marriage, children. Now, all of them in their place can be real benefits. Some can be incredible blessings, but none of them individually nor collectively can guarantee that if you have them, you will live well. It's not money or talent or opportunity that ultimately determines how well your life will go because there are lots of people that have every advantage that we think this world can offer, and yet their lives go horribly wrong. And then there are other people that you look at and you think, they can't catch a break. They don't have any advantages, and yet they are living joyful, fulfilling, beneficial, meaningful, exemplary lives. What's the difference? What's the difference between a life that's lived well and a life that is just wasted? It's wisdom. Wisdom. The key to living well is learning to live wisely. This is what the Bible teaches to us in both Old and New Testaments. Wisdom is both an intellectual and moral virtue. That is, it includes both our understanding as well as our action. It's the ability to discern what is right and good and true, and then to make decisions based upon such discernment. One writer has put it like this, wisdom takes insights it gleans from the knowledge of God's ways and applies them in the daily walk. Or I like the way that J.I. Packer has simply summarized it. He says, wisdom is the practical side of moral goodness. Well, Scripture reveals that wisdom comes from God. He is the source of wisdom. As we have sung, he is the God only wise. In Romans 16, 27, Paul puts it like that, that he's the only wise God in this doxology that he ends his letter with. As the source of wisdom, God is the one who gives wisdom. And we see in the Bible those who attained wisdom, who had wisdom, ascribing the fact that they possess it to the God who's given it. For example, we see this in the prophet Daniel. He prays in Daniel 2, verses 20 through 23. Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, to whom belong wisdom and might. He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. 
He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what it is in the darkness and the light dwells with him. To you, O God of my fathers, I give thanks and praise for you have given me wisdom and might. In the Old Testament, God has given us three specific books that are designed to teach us wisdom. They are the books of Ecclesiastes, Job, and the book of Proverbs. And what I want to do this morning is to look at the book of Proverbs with you and specifically to zero in on the key chapter of that book. It's Proverbs chapter 8, where we find wisdom being extolled to us, explained to us somewhat, commended to us, and personified as being a blessing to all who will embrace her. So please find a copy of God's Word and open to Proverbs chapter 8. Proverbs chapter 8. What I'd like to do is to read the whole chapter as we set our minds about this task of trying to understand what it means to live well. 36 verses in Proverbs 8. You follow along in your copy of the Scripture as I read it aloud. Does not wisdom call? Does not understanding raise her voice? On the heights beside the way, at the crossroads, she takes her stand. Beside the gates in front of the town, at the entrance of the portals, she cries aloud. To you, O men, I call, and my cry is to the children of man. O simple ones, learn prudence. O fools, learn sense. Hear, for I will speak noble things, and from my lips will come what is right. For my mouth will utter truth. Wickedness is an abomination to my lips. All the words of my mouth are righteous. There's nothing twisted or crooked in them. They're all straight to him who understands and right to those who find knowledge. Take my instruction instead of silver and knowledge rather than choice gold. For wisdom is better than jewels and all that you may desire cannot compare with her. I, wisdom, dwell with prudence and I find knowledge and discretion. The fear of the Lord is hatred of evil. Pride and arrogance in the way of evil and perverted speech I hate. I have counsel and sound wisdom. I have insight. I have strength. By me, kings reign and rulers decree what is just. By me, princes rule and nobles and all who govern justly. I love those who love me and those who seek me diligently find me. Riches and honor are with me. Enduring wealth and righteousness. My fruit is better than gold, even fine gold, and my yield than choice silver. I walk in the way of righteousness, in the paths of justice, granting an inheritance to those who love me, and filling their treasuries. When there were no depths, I was brought forth. When there was no springs abounding with water, before the mountains had been shaped, before the hills, I was brought forth. Before he had made the earth with its fields or the first of the dust of the world. When he established the heavens, I was there. When he drew a circle on the face of the deep, when he made firm the skies above, when he established the fountains of the deep, when he assigned to the sea its limits so that the waters might not transgress his command, when he marked out the foundations of the earth, then I was beside him like a master workman. And I was daily his delight, rejoicing before him always, rejoicing in his inhabited world and delighting in the children of man. 
And now, O sons, listen to me. Blessed are those who keep my ways. Hear the instruction and be wise and do not neglect it. Blessed is the one who listens to me, watching daily at my gates, waiting beside my doors. For whoever finds me finds life and obtains favor from the Lord. But he who fails to find me injures himself. All who hate me love death. To live well, you must acquire wisdom. That's what this chapter is teaching us, and it does so by setting before us four lessons regarding wisdom that we should take note of. I want to set them before you this morning as we look at this chapter together. The first is the value of wisdom, and then the essence of wisdom, the usefulness of wisdom, and then finally we will consider the accessibility, the availability of wisdom. Well, in verses 5 through 11, we see that wisdom is described as more valuable than the best circumstances of life. The things that we tend to esteem, that we tend to chase after, we are told wisdom is far better than them. In verse 6, wisdom is described as speaking noble things. That is excellent things, important things. What is right? Things that are straight, that are level, that are on the up and up, that are in accord accord to reality. In, In verse 7, From wisdom comes truth, that which is firm and stable, reliable. Uh, Wisdom regards wickedness as an abomination rather than calling wickedness good, which we see so often in our day. Wisdom tells it as it is. It rejects wickedness. It promotes and esteems righteousness in verse 8, that which is consistent with the character of God. In wisdom, there's no promotion of anything that is twisted or crooked, verse 8 says. In other words, where you find wisdom, you will find one who is free from guile, free from dishonesty. It's straight, plain. There's no duplicity in wisdom. Again, it esteems what is right, verse 9 indicates, what's just. In verses 10 and 11, we see wisdom described as being more valuable than riches, than wealth. Do you see that? Than silver, than choice gold, than jewels, than all that you may desire. You think about the things that you desire in this world that are promoted all the time as to being what we ought to long for, what if only we could have and attain, then life would be so much better. And here God is telling him, this is his word. Wisdom far surpasses all that you may desire. Well, why is wisdom more important than riches, than prestige, than ease? It's because none of those things last. It doesn't matter how much of any one of them or all of them together you might possess. Life does not always go our way. And when it does... It inevitably changes. See, nobody escapes trials in this world. Nobody escapes hardships. And because of that, it's far more valuable to have wisdom to know how to live through trials and hardships, as well as wonderful times, 
than it is to be free from trials and hardships because that is an impossibility. Just keep living and you will experience difficulties. It's far more valuable then to learn how to grow through trials than to try to avoid them altogether because life in this fallen world simply is not utopia. Most of the important decisions that you face in life will require wisdom. And if, by God's grace, you're able to employ wisdom in such decisions, then you will find, on the other side of those decisions, things going far better for you. Questions like, should I get married? Who should I marry? When should I get married? Should I take this job? Should I move? Should I pursue further formal education? If so, when? Where? Where, where should I live? All of those questions that we inevitably will ask over the course of our lives in different circumstances can be answered based upon any number of different avenues of information and thoughtfulness. And so often, I know it's true in my own life, and I don't know anybody of whom it is not true, at least in part. Decisions are often made not on the basis of wisdom. Oftentimes expediency. They're oftentimes motivated by something that is far less valuable than wisdom. In order to navigate these kinds of questions well, we need wisdom. And that's why the Bible tries to assure us, teach us, remind us that wisdom is far more valuable than anything else we could desire. So we see in this chapter, wisdom is extolled as valuable. Okay? But what is the essence of wisdom? I mean, in what does wisdom consist? Well, essentially, wisdom is knowing how things really are how things really work, and then acting accordingly. The common Old Testament word for wisdom is the ability to see things the way that they actually are and to respond appropriately. In verses 12 through 14, we see this demonstrated by the words that are associated with wisdom. You see in verse 12, prudence, knowledge, discretion, they walk with wisdom. We've seen these three words in the first part of Proverbs. In chapter 1, verse 4, they are mentioned again as being a part of the constellation of virtues that walk with wisdom. What is prudence? Well, the, the word literally means craftiness, and it can be used in either a negative or a positive way. Here it is obviously being referred to positively. A prudent person is one who sees where the course of life is headed and is able to anticipate obstacles and ways to overcome them. It is wonderful to have a prudent person by your side whenever you are venturing into an area that you haven't been before. When I graduated from Texas A&M, I went with a buddy who had been a, a very experienced backpacker, and we went to Big Bend, and we were going to hike across that whole uh, mountain range there, that part of the mountain range, and, and it was not a very well-traversed uh, path that we were following. So we talked to the rangers, and we mapped out our place, and it wasn't 
more than a day, day and a half before we got completely lost. And we didn't know where we were. We, we had to pack water in. We were using our water up more rapidly than we thought. And I remember thinking, praise God that Steve is here. <laughs> because if Steve hadn't been there, I would have taken the most direct route trying to get out, and it would have been a disaster. But because Steve was prudent, he was experienced, he understood that, yeah, that looks like a good idea, but that's really a bad idea. And rather than go direct, we need to go here and there and there. And God used Steve with his wisdom to get us out of that difficulty. Knowledge also walks with wisdom. This is useful, reliable, accurate information, discretion, the ability to look at life carefully and to develop successful strategies to know how to get goals accomplished. In verse 14, counsel, sound wisdom, understanding, strength, all of these are what accompany wisdom. Counsel is advice and guidance about life situations. Uh, sound wisdom is just good judgment, insight, understanding things beyond their superficial apparent realities. So you see something that looks one way, but because you have insight, you're able to see beyond the merely evident strength or powers, the ability to affect change based on wisdom. Again, I love what J.I. Packer says about this. He writes, to live wisely, you have to be clear-sighted and realistic, ruthlessly so, in looking at life the way it really is. One of the things I love about the Bible and about the, the Christian faith is that God never, ever encourages us to live on the basis of pretense. He never encourages us to shut our eyes to reality, to pretend that things are different than they actually are. And that's the way of wisdom. A wise person is somebody who gets it, who recognizes what's really going on, how things really work, and is able to make decisions on that basis. Beginning in verse 22, wisdom declares that she was with God from the beginning, that she was intimately involved in the work of creation. Verse 30 says that she served God as a master workman in creation, which means the world was created in wisdom and created by wisdom, which means that wisdom is woven into the world. And so when you see things the way they really are, you are seeing the result of the world that is being created by and in wisdom. And when you get in alignment with that, well, then you're able to live well. You're able to live wisely. There are patterns of wisdom that have been intricately meshed together in every area of life. To see this and to order your life according to such patterns is to live well. To fail to see it or to see it and to choose to live your life contrary to it results in disaster. Now this is evident in the physical world, the way that God has created the physical world to work. We see it in the realm of aerodynamics. So if you understand aerodynamics and how lift and wind flow works, then you can construct an airplane that'll actually fly. 
But if you don't understand aerodynamics and you decide, hey, I think I'm going to make a plane and you just build it according to your own whims, well, you know what's going to happen, right? It's not going to go well for you because you're not seeing things the way they really are and building in accordance with this, with it. That's true for every area of life. I, I live in South Florida on the coast, Gulf Coast, and there are some wonderful fishermen in our church and in that area. And wise fishermen understand something about the nature of the fish they're trying to catch. They understand currents. They understand seasons, shadows, the moon, the sun, bait. And when you go fishing with a wise fisherman, you're much more likely to catch fish than if you go with a guy who has the latest equipment and the fanciest tools and doesn't really have much wisdom about what it means to fish. The same thing's true in parenting. Wise parents understand what's going on with their children. They realize that their children are not animals. And so you don't train them the same way you'd train a circus animal. They realize that they have souls, that they're made in the image of God. But they also realize that they're sinful. And so when their children act sinfully, they're not blown away by that. And because they understand the way things really are in their children and in the relationship between parents and children that God has ordained, that he's prescribed, they're going to be far less likely to be manipulated by their children or to manipulate their children. If you're wise about life, you'll see how things really operate and you will order your life appropriately. As Proverbs, as well as the whole Bible, repeatedly tells us, the reality is in this world that we are here because of God, by God, for God. If you will get that clearly in mind and remind yourself of those simple fundamental truths, it will save you a lot of missteps and heartache in your life. We've been created by God, for God. This world was created by God, for God. This is his show. He has put us in it. And if we understand that, then we will resist. In fact, we will repudiate this idea that, no, the, the world is designed to revolve around me and what's in it for me. To understand the reality that creation screams at us, that the Bible reveals to us, is to begin to put yourself on a pathway of living, knowing that I've been made by God, for God. My life will not go well until I start making decisions on the basis of that fundamental reality. And you can try to deny it. You can ignore it. You can try to manipulate it. But it's just like gravity. Deny it. Get up on top of the building and just say, I don't believe in gravity. And step off. You know, what, do, what do the young people say? Reality bites, right? <laughs> Reality wins out. It, it, it is not going to be destroyed. It's not going to be ignored. 
to recognize then this fundamental reality that God's created the world by himself, for himself, including us in the world, means that if I'm going to live wisely, I need to start thinking about my life, my future, my relationships, my plans, my values in the light of that truth. And then the, the rest of the reality that the Bible reveals to us about the relationship we have with God, that it's, it's not that God created us by himself, for himself, and everything's gone so well since then. No, we rebelled against God. Our first father, Adam, who had every advantage that you could imagine, turned away from God. Foolishly. Sinned against God, broke the relationship that he had with God. And, and the consequences of that broken relationship continue with us today. And so the reality is, yeah, we are here by God, for God. But we're in a world that is not the way that it was designed to be. I, I'm not the way. I was designed to be as an image bearer of God. Because sin has come in and it has messed everything up. And if you try to live your life denying, ignoring, not giving full weight to the reality of sin, your life's not going to go well for you. The Bible is so full of wisdom. It explains reality. I, mean, I read the Bible, and it reads me. It explains me. It explains the good and the evil in the world. You know, the Bible explains both Bill Gates as well as Adolf Hitler? How in the world can Bill Gates, who denies God, have made life so much better for so many people through his creative genius that's resulted in a whole new technology that we now take for granted? Well, because he's made in the image of the creative God. He bears God's image. And so whenever he did this, by God's common grace in him, benefit came to the world. Well, then how do you explain Adolf Hitler? Well, he was also an image bearer of God, but sin turns us away from God. And when sin is left unchecked, when God removes the barriers to restrain sin, Adolf Hitler makes perfect sense. You see, the Bible teaches us to think rightly about this world. And so if you're believing the truth, the reality of the world, you're here for God, you're here by God, you've sinned against God, well, if you're going to be wise, you're going to inevitably ask, how in the world do I get out of this predicament? What do I do with my sin against this God that the Bible tells me, in reality, I'm going to stand before one day and give an account? What do I do? You can try to make it on your own. You can try to fill up your life with different things. You can try to be a good person. You can come up with any number of strategies. But if you're thinking wisely, you realize, I'm without hope in this world. I'm without help in this world. I cannot make up for what I've done. Wisdom teaches us we need mercy. We need grace. We need something we can't produce for ourselves. And again, God in his wisdom has provided mercy and grace by sending his son, the Lord Jesus, into the world. So that we who 
are made in His image, responsible to live before Him in complete obedience, having fallen away from Him, might be forgiven and reconciled to Him. Not on the basis of anything we do, but on the basis of what His Son, the Lord Jesus, has once and for all time done. And so, to live wisely is to take God at His word and to bow to Jesus Christ and receive Him as Lord. <laughs> Look, if you've not trusted Christ, if you have never been reconciled to God, friend, praise God you're here. He brought you here today to hear the word sung, to hear it prayed, to hear it read, to hear it taught, so that you might come to receive wisdom from him, the wisdom that leads you to bow to Jesus Christ and receive him. And I would plead with you right now, where you are, receive Christ, trust Christ. You don't have to join a church. You don't have to go through a ritual. You don't have to jump through any hoops. You know what you need to do? You need to confess Jesus Christ is Lord. You need to believe God raised this man from the dead. And in him, there's forgiveness. In him, there's life. And trust him. Augustine was a 5th century church father who understand, understood all of these issues. And in his writings, the understanding of how the world works comes through on page after page. And when he began to see these things clearly, was made right with God. And just the way I've described he, he penned a prayer, and the prayer is this, O oh Lord, our hearts are restless until they come to rest in Thee. That's wisdom. He got it. Well, to live well, you need to know wisdom. You need to know how things really are, how they work, and then respond accordingly. We see that in the value of wisdom being extolled in this passage. We've looked at the essence of wisdom now I want to direct your attention to verses 15 through 21 to see the usefulness of wisdom, its utility. In verses 16 and 15 and 16, we're told that wisdom enables kings to rule well. By me, princes rule, verse 16 says. Wisdom also enables judges to make sound decisions in verses 15 and 16. We see in verse 16, it's by wisdom that all who govern can govern justly. You know, Romans 13 tells us that every governmental authority has been established by God, and no governmental authority exists that has not been established by God, which means that all civil rulers are servants of God. God has designed the world to work with structures of authority. And when those who are put in positions of authority, who are designed to exercise rule, when they embrace wisdom, well, then they inevitably will rule well. When they see things the way they really are and how things really work and then act accordingly, the people who are under their authority will be blessed. One of the difficulties, one of the main difficulties that we lived through during the, the COVID years, is that we had civil authorities that were foolish. They did not understand that the world in which we live, in which they have been given authority, is a world that God created and that they were under His authority. And some of them started acting like they themselves were sovereign. 
And the result is foolishness. And that can happen to us as pastors, as husbands and fathers, mothers, as school teachers, in any area. To not see the way things really are and to recognize that the authority that you have in any realm is authority that has been delegated to you by the ultimate authority. If you get that, you see that, because that's the way it really is, then you'll be in a position to make decisions that will be far better for those under your authority than if you misunderstand the nature of that authority. We see this working in the reign of King Solomon. When God asked him, what do you want? He said, I want wisdom. And God gave him wisdom, and immediately in his early reign, there were two mothers who came to him. You remember the story? They both had babies, and during the night, one of the babies died, and so both mothers claimed that the dead baby was the other mother's, and the living baby was the, their own. And so they go to Solomon. It's a dilemma. And you remember what Solomon did? He says, bring me a sword. He's got two mothers there, one baby that's alive, one baby that's dead. And he says, I'm just going to split this baby in two and give you each half. Well, it sounds crazy, doesn't it, that a king would say something like that. What's going on? Solomon knew what was happening. He understood reality. He understood the reality of a mother's love. He understood the reality of bitter jealousy. And he knew that the mother would be willing to sacrifice her relationship with her son for the sake of the son's life. And when that mother said, let him live, give him to her, Solomon knew that's the mother. That's wisdom. He understood. He saw it, and he acted on the basis of it. Now, unfortunately, his son did not have that same wisdom. When Rehoboam took over as the king of Israel, there was a, a man who had rebelled against Israel and led rebels out from the nation by the name of Jeroboam. And when Jeroboam heard that Rehoboam was now king, he went to him and he said, look, if you'll ease up the burdens that your father put on us, I will bring these people back under your rule and we will be loyal subjects to you. So what did Rehoboam do? Well, he consulted with the older advisors that had served his father first. And they said, you ought to do this. This will be good for the kingdom. You'll have loyal subjects. And then he consulted with younger attendants who weren't wise. And they said, these guys are coming to you looking for mercy. Tell them you're going to ramp things up. They think your dad was harsh. They hadn't said anything yet. And so what did he do? He foolishly went with the counsel of the men who did not understand the way things really were. And the result was the kingdom of Israel was split in two. Foolishness prevailed, disaster resulted. When you embrace wisdom, your life will be a blessing to others, particularly to those over whom you have authority. When you reject wisdom, you bring misery to yourself and to others. But wisdom also brings its own rewards to those who embrace it, not just to those whom you exercise authority over. We see this in verses 18 through 21. Look at these verses again, because sometimes these verses make us nervous in our circles because we've seen them so abused. 
by people who teach a prosperity gospel. If you do this, then you're going to get rich. And if usually the this involves give me money, you know, if you do this and good things will happen to you. But listen to what the Bible says about wisdom. Riches and honor are with me, enduring wealth and righteousness. My fruit is better than gold, even fine gold. My yield than choice silver. I walk in the way of righteousness and in the paths of justice, granting an inheritance to those who love me and filling their treasuries. Proverbs is not embarrassed or slow to talk about the specific, practical, even material blessings that accompany wisdom and living wisely. Now, what do we do with these verses? Well, first of all, remember that they're proverbs, they're not laws. And so we're, giving, we're giving, being given proverbial wisdom here, not formulas to follow. And we must also recognize that no one proverb can stand alone, but they all need to be seen in the context of all the proverbs, and indeed they need to be seen in the context of the whole Bible. What's being taught here is that wisdom enables us to be clear and realistic about the way life really works. And whenever you see the way life really works and you make decisions on the basis of that, benefit will come to you. Generally, that is true. When you understand how the human body works and what is good for the human body and what is unhealthy for the human body and you make decisions based on what is good for the human body, your body's going to function better than otherwise. It's just the way God has made the world. And we should not be embarrassed to see the way of wisdom set before us and embrace it with expectations that things will go better for us as we do. Well, wisdom enables us to be clear and realistic about the way life actually works. But wisdom isn't ultimately found in information or facts or even mere knowledge. Which brings me to the last point that I want to consider with you this morning from this text. And that is wisdom's accessibility. Wisdom is accessible not primarily through information, but through a person. A person. Did you see that in verses 1 through 4 and then at the end of the chapter as well? Wisdom is personified. Again, we see this earlier in Proverbs in the first chapter, the last half of it. Wisdom there and here is personified as a woman. Probably because... Solomon originally is giving these proverbs, these words of wisdom to his sons. And wisdom is personified as lady wisdom to counteract lady folly, the foolish woman. And so we have these competing interests that are set before his sons. And he personifies wisdom as a woman to capture the affections of his sons. Look at what is said about her. She calls out loudly, pleadingly to all who hear her voice. She wants them to listen, to understand, to embrace her, and to heed her. Verses 1 through 3 give us the image of a woman in the marketplace, the place of commerce, in the halls of power, giving arguments to persuade the people that were in the sound of her voice to find her, and in finding her to find life, as verse 35 puts it. Look at verse 17. She promises that those who seriously seek her will find her. I love those who love me. And those who seek me diligently 
find me? Well, how do you seek for wisdom? Where do you start on that journey to attain wisdom? In the next chapter, verse 10, Proverbs 9, 10, we read, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. This is exactly what God said to Job as well in Job 28, 28. Behold, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom, and to turn away from evil is understanding. Or Psalm 111, verse 10 puts it, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All those who practice it have a good understanding. The reason so many people live foolishly in this world is because they have never, ever started down the pathway of fearing God. If they consider God at all, they consider him lightly. They consider him as something that is easily managed. What we need more than anything in our day is for people to come again to regard God as God. To see God as God and to fear God will affect the way that you spend your time. It will affect the way that you spend your money, how you make your decisions, how to plan for the future. If you do that without regarding God as God, without fearing God, without revering Him, you're not going to live wisely. If you want to be wise, then recognize as the Bible teaches us quite clearly, it starts with the fear of God. So consider Him. Take time to stop and just meditate on who God really is. What does God reveal to us about Himself? You live in a beautiful part of the country where you don't have to go very far and look around at nature and see the handiwork of God. It's beautiful. Stop the next time that you are walking up a hill or you're looking at a beautiful sunset or a, a rainbow in the sky and contemplate, what does this say about the one who has created it? What kind of God is this? And then read the Bible and see how the scripture sets God before us. The God who, having created everything, rules over everything with meticulous care. Jesus said, not even a sparrow falls to the ground apart from the will of our Father in heaven. What kind of God is that? Even the hairs on our head are numbered to God. He knows the stars by name. We hadn't even discovered all the stars yet. God knows them. Consider God. And consider that you come from God. And you will return to God. Jesus told his disciples, when he was sending them out to preach, he said, don't feel the fear of the people that can kill your body. Fear him who can kill both body and soul, can cast body and soul into hell. This is Jesus talking to his disciples, saying, remember, the God before whom you live is a God who is to be feared. If we don't have reverence for God, if God is so small in our thoughts that we can joke about him and take him or leave him, disregard what he says when it doesn't suit our conveniences, then we've not yet started on the path of wisdom that begins with the fear of God. Well, from this chapter, we have to get the impression that wisdom is readily available. 
that it's accessible. That wisdom wants to be discovered. Wisdom's personified in this chapter to teach us that wisdom is not ultimately found in, an information, in information, but in a person. And I don't think we can read this chapter rightly without understanding that wisdom ultimately is found in the person of Jesus Christ. And why do I say that? Let me explain it the way I see it. Look at verses 22 and 23. Wisdom is described as being with God from the beginning. You see, the Lord possessed me at the beginning of his work, the first of his acts of old. Ages ago, I was set up at the first before the beginning of the earth. Who in the world could lay claim to that? Well, listen to John chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Well, that's Jesus. John's telling us about Jesus in the very language that we find in Psalm number 8. Or look at verse 30 and 31 of our text. Wisdom described as sharing joy and delight with God. I was daily his delight, rejoicing before him always. I rejoicing in the inhabited world and delighting in the children of man. Twice in the ministry of Jesus, God the Father speaks in an audible voice, this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. Wisdom is saying, he was pleased with me. I brought pleasure to him. I took pleasure in his created world. In verse 35, we read that whoever finds wisdom finds life, obtains favor from the Lord. Well, listen to John chapter 1, verse 4. In Jesus, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. Listen to John 6, 47. Jesus says, most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me has everlasting life. Jesus Christ is wisdom personified. If you're going to live wisely in this world, in a holistic manner, you're going to need to come to know wisdom in Christ. You might be a good fisherman. You might be able to build an airplane or build computers without knowing Jesus Christ, but you will not be able to live wisely in life without wisdom personified. Colossians 2 verse 3 says that in Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. In 1 Corinthians 1.30, Paul says that for all who are in Christ, Christ has become to us wisdom from God, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. So here's the way things really are. God made this world. He put image bearers in this world. He caused them to be upright in perfect relationship with him. We rebelled against him. Sin came into the world. It messed everything up that God had designed to be just right. And because of sin, we who are his highest creation are estranged from him from birth. Sin has separated us from God. It has made us liable to his wrath against our sin. But God in his kindness and wisdom has provided a way that you and I as rebels against God can be reconciled to him. And that way is wisdom personified, Jesus Christ. And Jesus has done everything necessary to bring us to God. And in Christ, when you take God at his word and you believe Christ and you receive him into your life, 
then you begin to be on a pathway of living well in God's world. Dealing with sin. Dealing with the future. Empowered to live in a way that you could not live outside of Christ. This is what life is about. This is reality. This is the key to living well in the world. When you get wisdom by getting Christ through faith in him, then you are able to truly get life and respond accordingly. Well, what is the appropriate response to Jesus Christ, who is wisdom incarnate? It is to hear and heed his call. Jesus, wisdom, stands calling all of us to consider our lives, to turn from our sin, and to trust him. Listen to one of the ways that Jesus extends this call. He says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden. I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me, for I'm gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Do you, do you know Jesus in this way? Are you trusting Christ? Brothers and sisters, in Christ, do you see that we have everything we need to live well in this world? It doesn't matter how much fame you have. It doesn't matter how much money you have or what your health is like or what your circumstances are now. If you have Christ, then you have wisdom and you have everything you need to make it through this day, the next day, next week, till your last breath because you have God. But if you don't have Christ, it doesn't matter what you do have. You could have all the money in the world. You could be better known than anybody in the world. But if you don't have Christ, you don't get it. You haven't really come to terms with what your life is about and what this life, this world is about. And friend, again, praise God that you're here. Hear me in behalf of God, pleading with you, to bow to Jesus Christ and receive Christ. Confess your crimes against God. He delights to show mercy to people like you and me who've rebelled against him. And trust Christ Jesus as Lord. Your life will be forever changed. And you will be put on a pathway of living well. Well, life is made up of choices. Choices that are influenced by our understanding of what is best, what we value, what we think is most desirable. By living life on the basis of real wisdom, we will be able to pursue the truly good life, to pursue a life that is truly well-lived. So come to Christ. Remember Christ as you face important decisions. Because in Him, you will experience the good life, and you will be empowered to live well. Let's pray together. Our Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for Jesus Christ, in whom 
all the treasures of wisdom have been hidden. Help us then to seek Christ, to know Christ, to remember Christ. For those that walked in this morning without Christ, oh God, reveal him savingly to them, we pray. Seal to our hearts the truth of your word. For Jesus' sake, amen. Stand together and sing just as I am. Just as I am without one Christ-centered, exalting preaching of the Word. Uh, We talk about that often, how the Old Testament is the shadow, Christ is the substance, and uh, just great, faithful exposition of the Old Testament, and running to Christ as quickly as we can. Amen? Because He is the personification of wisdom. Uh, Thank you, brother. Appreciate the Word of God being preached. Uh, Tonight, uh, Dr. Askell will preach on revival. We could stand some of that. Amen. So I hope you'll come back tonight. We meet at 5.30. We want to have a, a prayer time at the conclusion right here to service. If you're going to Guatemala on this trip, would you come down forward? Come down front. This will be our second group. I think our first one had 15. This one has 20. All right. Don't be shy. Come on. All right. All right. Also, as you leave, uh, I've placed some ushers in the back. 
maybe this is the only service you can attend today. I hope you can come tonight. But I want a, our church to be a blessing uh, to Brother Tom and Miss Donna. And so if you'd like to give an offering, there'll be ushers in the back, okay? Uh, if you want to grab an envelope, if you want to mark that, you can. This straight love offering for our speaker. Yeah, if you write a check for the love offering, write it to the church, okay? And we'll make sure that one check is given to Brother Tom, okay? So the ushers are in the back. If you, would you like to give, you can wait till tonight if you want to do that. But the offering plates are in the back, okay? Did I miss anything, David? All right. All right. Uh, one of our guys that's been to Guatemala before, but you're not going this time, would you come down here and pray? Don't make me call on you. All right. Do I have someone who will do that? All right. Chris Evans is coming to do that. All right. Chris is actually our resident, uh, what do you call yourself? Uh, video, videographer. Yeah, this guy. He actually, look, we all left after seven days. He stayed 10 days to help another group in Guatemala be able to, to video what the Lord's doing down there. Super guy, great fellow to pray for him. Amen. Let's, let's conclude our service with prayer. Father God, I thank you so much for this opportunity to come to you and, and, and ask you to bless this wonderful trip. Lord, I pray that you work in all the hearts of the people here to um, prepare them for what you have um, for them in Guatemala, Lord. And I pray also that you work in the hearts of all those that they will touch in Guatemala. Um, Lord, that your, your will would be done, Lord, that your glory would be seen there, Lord. Um, I put all of them in your wonderful uh, hands and fully trust in you for that, Lord. Thank you, and we pray this in Jesus' holy name. Amen.